0: 60 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You have 60 seconds to comply. This is minute 60, part man. Part machine.
1: All all pod. This minute begins with Clarence saying he's the guy in Detroit, and ends with him saying, maybe I'm not making myself clear.
0: (laughs) This is like the minute of the big dogs.
1: Yeah, uh, it is all Clarence, all the time. We've had a few minutes here, and we'll have a couple more minutes of Mm. just Clarence Vodica. And... He's great.
0: Yeah. Although these minutes, maybe there's not so much to say about them. Yeah, that was. I I found myself getting very nose light. I do have things, but it is. Yeah, it is pretty much the first time we actually really get to see Clarence Boddicker as the charming, charismatic guy he is. We've seen him be the cop killer. We've seen him be like you know the the ruthless killer with Morton. But this is the time we actually get to see him as probably the person, without him inflicting violence.
1: Yeah, he is actually quite a multifaceted character. And I think that's, you know, we've discussed it before, that the glasses, the costume, they all kind of gave him this intellectual look. We've only ever seen him be a thug up until this point. And Mm. uh, we've also seen him as the leader and subordinate. And now it's, yeah, yeah, he's... They've, they've given him a lot. I didn't realise when I you know, would just casually watch uh, Robocop in my own time. It was just, huh, it's Red from that 70s show. And just rejoicing every time he threatened to
0: shove anything up anyone's arse. <laughs> well, this is where our points of view really differ. I, I think we brought it up in the past, like, you know, 50-odd minutes ago. But, like, for me, this is my first Kurtwood Smith so yeah, I guess it, yeah. Going into the 70s show, it's just like it's Clarence Pontiker. <laughs> he's a dad.
1: <laughs> he, you know what? It kind of works though. He he's basically yeah. the same character. He's just retired. <laughs> he has this douchebag kid.
0: <laughs> yeah, if if you really think of it as like you know, well, not like the alternate reality, and this is like um maybe Clarence's punishment for his crimes or. I don't know, but uh, I couldn't get into that 70s show that much. I enjoyed it, but it, I'm not a huge fan of sitcoms, I'll be brutally honest.
1: Yeah, I loved it as a kid. haven't watched it as an adult, so I have
0: no idea if I actually like it or not. No, yeah, it, it's probably, well, I, I guess the thing is, because it was already, like, oh, what's this for, anachronistic? Anachronism, yeah. Yeah, being a 90s. It
1: was the 90s? Yeah, it was made in the late 90s. Isn't that so bizarre? Yeah. Like, the 90s yeah. and the 70s, so different. But that's the yeah. equivalent of making a show set in 2003, which would not look that different. <laughs> I mean, I watched... Well, we're going oh. to tend already. I watched Spider-Man 2 the other night. It's made <laughs> in 2004. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's... You can tell it's not modern, but mm. it's not as distinct as, oh, this is the 70s, this is the 80s. 2004 is just... They had yeah, PlayStation Two.
0: Uh-huh. We kind of went into a bit of a um, cultural arrest development post uh, 9/11 to a certain yeah. degree. Yeah. Yep. It's all nostalgia all the way down. Yeah. Like yeah. We yeah. That's that's true. Like the last few decades, especially the last two decades, mm. has been such a nostalgia fest, and we've had fashion trends, but we've not had a v- culturally a visual. Aesthetic is women
1: That might actually explain the nineteen fifties as well. You know, you come out of World War Two, this very globally traumatic experience mm. and oh, suddenly yeah. it's you know, women were working in the workforce and suddenly it's just get back in the kitchen, let's do the yes. old white picket fence, very conservative. So it's not until yes. The 60s come along, and I can't wait for our next... The sequel to the 1960s. Can't wait for that huge (laughs) cultural revolution, because I don't know how many more Spider-Man remakes I can watch. Well, don't worry. There's probably going to be at least two or three more in our lifetime. (sighs) Anyway, getting back on track, uh, (laughs) I admire that there really isn't a completely dull moment in this movie. Even Mm. a scene like this, which is basically just... Establishing information. It's a discussion. The mm. wine. The dude Sal w- drinking the wine. <laughs> it is such an odd detail. My eyes are I so know. drawn to it. It seems so out of place in this situation. Yeah. He does not seem like a wine drinker. He is holding it like no. it's a wine tasting.
0: <laughs> yeah, this entire this entire dialogue and this entire this entire uh, confrontation. If this was. Any other filmmaker, except for some crazy European, this would probably be like, you know, the guns would be drawn out immediately. It'd be like the showdown at, at the OK Corral, kind of like the tension really be mm. But in many ways, these are just like 2 dudes, two even colleagues to a certain degree, just kind of, this is almost like a business meeting, but it's in a cocaine factory. Yes. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, there's a, there's a casualness to it. I'm just going to quickly jump ahead to the commentary notes because Ed talks about the dialogue in this particular next minute and a half, essentially. And he found this to be incredibly tough to write because he just couldn't really write tough guy dialogue. Hmm. And in fact, it's in the next minute, but he he says in this minute's worth of commentary that he actually hated the... um... In the original script, it's you dumb wop, son of a bitch, which is what Clarence says. Clarence says something similar. So actually, a lot of this dialogue... Is not in the script. A lot of this was Kerwood Smith, uh, particularly Kerwood Smith, coming up with his own shit. <laughs> and the actor. Oh, I might as well quickly touch on the actor. So Sal is played by Lee DeBrox, B R O U X. Mm. And Great, he man. is. Yeah, he. It's funny because he's playing a um yeah he's playing a drug dealer here, but he plays like a lot of cops, hmm. and he's a lot done a lot of TV at work. He's got a hundred and thirty as of now. He's got a hundred and thirty seven actor credits on IMDb, working all the way up until two thousand nineteen. Hmm. Lot of a uh, lot of TV credits, even though he's not worked in Star Trek, he has worked with T J Hooker, oh, yeah. starring William Shatner, and Quantum Leap starring Scott Bakula. So two (laughs) captains right there. Well, shit. That's exactly what I was hoping to spare you from.
1: He's getting there, yeah. Six degrees of separation.
0: Yeah, he's done a ton of, like... Really, he's done a lot of like one-offs. Obviously, he doesn't seem to be the the guy that's going to star in the show. Uh, He's been in Murder She Wrote a couple of times. He's done. uh... Those must be fun
1: careers where Mm. you you're just a working actor. You're never the lead. You're never tied down to anything, and you get to be in all these different shows. That seems that's fun.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, he's been in MacGyver. Nice. Magnum PI. He's been in a ton of stuff, like a lot of cowboy stuff, a lot of yeah. He seems to, he seems to play a lot of cops and back or, or heavies and stuff like mash. Uh, but the one that also particularly caught my eye, he was in Steven Seagal's first movie, Above the Law. <laughs> oh, he was also in Chinatown with Jack Nicholson. Oh, there you go. So, um, yeah,
1: very prolific. Writing villain dialogue. Well, it's actually, like, when, it's, when you're just writing the supervillain, the main baddie, I think that's where it's a lot of fun and you can just yeah. go over the top and there's no limits. And having written Knight Rider fan fiction, yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> there's no there's no wrong with Garth Knight, you know. You look like crap. Fuck you, kid! But, yeah, um... Sadly, he's not been in Night Rider. Ah, oh, damn. Uh... Career over. <laughs> yep. I derailed myself. No, but when right. it comes to writing the thugs and the kind of middlemen, that's mm. actually quite hard because it, it you can't relate to them. They're not talking realistically. Mm. Yeah, I've never had to write anything that's like that, but yeah, I can't imagine mm. it's easy.
0: Well, especially because this is like, as, as even Ed describes it, it's tough guy dialogue. Yeah. If you're not... Part of that, I don't know, if you're not part of that kind of world, Scene, yeah, you're probably there going, oh, well, how, how do I do this? I mean, you
1: know. Yeah, suburban you know, white men writing thug dialogue does not,
0: <laughs> yes. as we have seen
1: in bloody, uh, the, the 2014 version. Uh... Yes.
0: Oh, I don't even know how I want to tackle these minutes on Robo, oh, RoboFlight, mm, but we're going to get to some I have some, some ideas, later. yeah. I would love to get a close up of what the hell that injector that Clarence has. I'm guessing it's just a, a quick snort of cocaine hit, but it's just like this, like like almost like a silver, I don't know, bulb tube. Yeah, I had no like idea a, what that was. He, he uses it once and he never sees it again. Hmm. So it's like, oh, I can't. He's, he's a guy surrounded by cocaine, but he has to have his special hit. I don't know.
1: Uh, also I feel sorry for everyone filming this because they all have to wear winter stuff.
0: They're filming yeah, it in summer yes.
1: and at least got the scarf, he got the jacket.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um I don't know. It could have been one of those things where um it might actually have been cold in the uh factory anyway. Yeah, oh there's high ceilings maybe, maybe. Pray to God.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I don't well, I couldn't do what uh you know do the do the RoboCop costume that kind of thing or or like what christian bale does with the rubber batman suit like no no there's no amount of money i would die and uh yeah i i actually don't sweat too much but reminds me of um oh i can't remember the name of the podcast but uh some of the actors from star trek voyager have done a show oh delta flies yes delta flies and they're talking about their experiences filming that Oh, and the woolen suits. The woolen suits, and um, yeah, the costume designers was uh, were telling... Uh, oh, Guy played Kim. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Ah, god damn it, Ensign Kim. Anyway, yeah. he's talking about uh, he was the sweater. So the costume designers, yeah. they have this phrase like, there's always a sweater, yep. and they basically yep. have to just make you, like, armpit pads so that you don't yep. sweat through
0: the costume. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Apparently the... Uh, the season one and two TNG because they were spandex. Mm. Apparently, they I think they're neoprene actually. reeked. yeah. It's no, neoprene, they were. Was it a I I thought it was neoprene? A, I
1: thought it was a neoprene yeah. blend, so it wasn't pure spandex, it wasn't pure
0: neoprene. It was like that weird. It was one of the very first spandexes that were out there, so not spandex, but yeah, lycra and yeah. uh. And it was, I think it was a four-way stretch. Like one of the very, It was expensive. No, it was two-way. It was two-way
1: because oh, no, it was they two-way, cut sorry, it the yes. wrong way. And it all forever yeah. baffle me how someone who was working in costume for like 40 goddamn years made such yeah. a rookie mistake. I don't understand.
0: So I um, i know I was getting confused with this the original Superman one. But either way, yeah, it was like early days of this lycra. And yeah, it... Just absorbed sweat like crazy, and all those costumes reeked. Gross! There was one one of the many reasons why they were so happy to get rid of that those costumes. Star
1: Trek: The Stinky Generation.
0: Yeah, it's a good thing there's no smell vision. Yep. I was gonna segue into talking about this factory, but we went such a tangent. I'm gonna have to derail it back. Uh, I managed That's to fine. find some information yep. about this factory. It is. Situated in 2727 Canton Street in a section of Dallas called Deep Illum. Hmm. And it is currently known as the Bomb Factory, of all oh. things. It's a musician musical venue, uh, and you can find it online at the thebombfactory.com. And it actually has a history section on the website, and it actually says that in the early 1900s the building was used to manufacture Ford automobiles. Yeah. During World War II, the building was used to manufacture bombs and ammunition for the armed forces, hence the name Bomb Factory. It doesn't have much of a what what it did in the intervening years, but it says in the mid 1990s the building was converted to a music events venue and hosted a ton of like well-known uh, band names. Uh Radiohead, Sonic Youth, Ramones, in excess. Wow, Nine Inch Nails. That's a pretty cool place. Yeah, and it did a major renovation in 2015, and it's currently open to the public to this day. Although I believe uh, COVID has yeah, probably happened, so <laughs> dating this podcast. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, I think it's under limited things. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. I just ran randomly found that out, and so yes, it's. Uh, it, it it was an actual factory it actually made munitions but it's uh, yeah it's actually a music venue and you can go visit it it probably looks nothing like this and although there might still be cocaine there yeah maybe maybe <laughs> it's it, it's just probably a fresher batch <laughs> does it ever expire i don't know uh, that's beyond my knowledge. I, I was more going the fact that it's a music venue. Someone's bringing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not that they endorse it, but that someone always brings something.
1: Yeah, you'd think my extensive research with Miami Vice would give uh, some answers, <laughs> but no. <laughs> You're not exactly up my alley, style and persona wise.
0: Yeah, but your extensive research only lasts until 1980 something. Whenever the last season was, 89, uh, I think. Yep. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't think it went into the nineties. No, it's so. Fa- oh, God, we're on a tangent again,
1: but it's fascinating how distinct. Going back to what we we're saying about how the decades are, are mm. so distinctly different in the twenties. Yeah, like the nineties come along, and that is just a whole different thing to the eighties. Mm. Miami yeah. Vice could not survive. I don't. E- I can't even imagine what a nineties Miami Vice would look like. Oh God!
0: Funny thing is, my brain immediately goes to uh, not not CIA. NCIS, um, that kind of shit, the, yeah, um, that kind of shit. But I'm more thinking something like, say, uh, the was it New Orleans, the I New Orleans version, I don't Where know. It's a bit more hip, hip oh, and right, retro, yeah. and rather than the stuffy office, like they're in an attic or something like that. Hmm. So the hip and cool one, <laughs> but it's they're still Nars.
1: Um, speaking of my advice, think- in the background we see some brightly coloured, uh, sort of metal tub thing, I can't remember what you call those ones, the canister thing, about 17 seconds in, and just it is such a my Vice thing, because those things do not normally come, in, like the chemical waste vat kind of things.
0: Oh, those, wow. Yeah,
1: those do not normally come in bright blues and purples, but Mummy Vice will always do that, where like a hospital is painted in those colours, or shipping <laughs> containers are painted in those colours, it's this hyper real kind of thing that i really dig and i think it's sadly missing in modern cinema that we're all about realism rather than hyper realism or at least when we do hmm. hyper real it's in a more subtle way uh because yeah. you don't want people
0: on the internet bitching but that was
1: unrealistic
0: it's a movie that's what you want the irony is of morons who talk about uh, how things are and aren't real about in, in regards to media. The mm. funny thing is, some of the more outlandish things that happen in media, in, in fictional storytellers, sometimes uh, they're actually, not, not necessarily dumbed down, but they're usually toned down from what has happened in real life. Because things in real life are kind of stupid, outrageous.
1: Yeah, real life is weird.
0: This is what happened a lot in the TV series *Leverage*. Um, John Rogers would research like um, Ponzi schemes and con, con artists and stuff like that, and real-world accounts of like like business corruption and things like that. And when they came to write these episodes for *Leverage*, they had to tone it down because the reality was so stupid. They went, "No one's going to believe this." Yep. <laughs> like that's no like the story one of my life. This dumb.
1: That's like a story. <laughs> I think if I if I ever finish my memoir. And I hand it to publishers like this is unrealistic, but it's true. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah reality is sometimes weirder than uh, than any fiction people can create. Truth is stranger than
1: fiction. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so that's why a lot of authors do draw on uh, real, worth, uh, real world examples. Real but world, like, yeah. so yeah, so like maybe like you got a vampire fiction, you know, you, you know you're, you're making shit up about vampires, but maybe the situation they're in, you know the geeky vampire getting held up at a convenience store. I don't know. That might be a thing that you went, I'm just going to use my reality. Maybe it's absurd what happened. So you're going to add the absurdity. Just just the main character's got superpowers. I don't yep. know. Uh, did we have any more notes for this minute? Well, I've just paused the, uh, <laughs> pause the footage at like uh, second 31. Because I-, I did want to just talk about uh, Sal's... Glorious mustache, but I'm looking at the, the big guy next to him, and it's like, yeah, yeah, he just, he just looks like a guy that they just like pulled off the street. And he is a like, soft boy,
1: Teddy Bear. He is just he, look <laughs> at that gentle face. He,
0: he looks like he is going to like coach a um a baseball team or something like. That. Yeah.
1: Okay, I'm gonna look tough. Do I look tough? Is this? Am I doing it right? Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I do have a couple more notes. Uh, so, I did mention before that the um, there is a ton of missing dialogue on the script because it was mostly improv. So, the book had... Oh, the book, finally enough, because Leon wasn't arrested. Leon's in this scene in the book. Mm. Obviously, he uh, he doesn't get killed. Uh, spoilers. And so, the, yeah, the, the dialogue is incredibly compressed, but I love this dialogue so much. It's really good. So, in the commentary, I think we touched upon this last episode, but um, Paul really thought that... The idea of a cocaine factory, like this high-end kind of factory with like production lines and all this stuff, and in a factory and blah blah blah, he thought it was he thought it was a bit too ridiculous. Hmm. And and now he goes like, yeah. Then like ten years later, this was the thing. Oh,
1: um, that's weird. Yeah, because like yeah. Daredevil has scenes like this as well, and
0: it's just the norm. Well, I remember a lot of movies around about this time, if they had a drug factory, because I think, um, I think it was License to Kill, also had, uh, because that would have been roughly, what, two years later, would have been License to to Kill, James Bond. Yeah. And so they had, and it was always that thing where, like, if they had a, if you saw, like, a drug lab on, main media, it was always, like, like, secret underground, and there was this trope where, like, the drugs had to be handled by naked women. Yeah. Yep, right. and it's one of, Yeah, it's one of those things you don't think about until you realise, oh, that was a thing. <laughs> oh, that was really... I thought that was just... Well, yeah, No, as in, like, in media, I don't know if that's a thing in real life, but it feels like one of those things where it's just like, oh, yeah, we got to... Yeah, this is our chance to, like... I think the idea is, like, you know, um, they're naked, so they're not storing drugs or anything like that. But here we've got, like, a factory no, full of burly men... <laughs> making drugs mm. and this feels more realistic than... yeah
1: there's that very little sexualized about robocop it's yeah. not really interested in that um yeah. which is surprising given that
0: is a thing from the 80s and it is such a schlocky kind of thing yeah so yeah it, i think it makes a lot of sense in this contest because we're going to end up having a, a shootout in the gun factory so it makes a lot of sense that all these people are going to be arm to the teeth because it's a you know if the cops turn up they're gonna have a shootout Mm. and lo and behold a cop turns up and they have a shootout yep (laughs) but uh yeah I think just this one makes more sense than the oh no we just have to then evacuate all these naked women trope bullshit
1: yeah uh do we wanna start gaslighting Robocop Alex how do you feel I feel fine Dr. Norton Minute 64 begins with Novak saying this, my friends, is the future of American justice and ends with a boardroom meeting. And here we have yet another undeserved and uninspiring use of the greatest (laughs) or one of the greatest theme songs of all time. Uh, (laughs) What does this movie have against being fun or dramatic or epic? Well, we can pretty much skip over the Novak stuff. We've kind of covered all that, and there's not much. There is difference. nothing to say, but yeah, the boardroom scene I think is quite interesting because they present a few ideas there that uh, maybe we should interrogate. So. so uh i can't remember that guy's name but he says oh no. you know, <laughs> we, we can't turn him off he's he's uh, deactivate him which can you do that uh, he's a huge hit it's mm-hmm. like is he a huge hit we have not seen that we have yes we have seen one public outing of this character where i didn't yeah. realize that he did actually execute that man he he killed that man
0: no because it's already been firmly established in this movie that he doesn't have lethal weapons. He's got stun guns. He did, They did say he shoots a guy.
1: Well, that's what I thought. But then in the next minute, the, uh, Clara says that he executed a man, and that's
0: it's not sedation. No, he, she. I think she does say she he shoot he shot a man. But yeah. She, well, that's the problem. The problem is I think that's the problem in the script. But the problem is we know that it's a stun gun. Oh, okay. but he still he still shot a man in public view in front of his child isn't that just how american cops work i thought that was just yeah yeah that's just normal
1: um yeah so we needed the the montage scene that we got in the original robocop you know he's going to schools Mm. he's cleaning up the city oh robocop who is he what is he about like that kind of stuff Mm. we don't get any of that it's just this is the future of american justice well he's a huge hit uh, maybe show, don't, don't tell. tell. Yes.
0: That should have been the notes scribbled on every single page of this script. Mm-hmm. So if anyone had read this, it would be show, don't tell, show, don't tell, show, don't tell, show, don't tell, show, don't tell. Yep. Oh, the thing with the boardroom is that it... Uh, I think we've talked about this before. This could have been the movie. This seems to be the movie they wanted to tell. Mm. And this should have been the movie they could have told. Like, let's see the corporate... All the corporate stoogery, but... I think these two minutes here are actually
1: circling what could have been a great movie, what could have been the central yeah. focus. These, these, This minute and the next one, this is what the movie should have been.
0: Yeah. Um, like, Keaton's brilliant in this. Like, you know, playing this uh, industrial tycoon, like, doesn't care a damn. And <sighs> this is the problem. I like Gary Oldman. Mm. But in these two minutes... He's playing two different characters. Yes. But they're the same character, and that's the other problem, is that he is... It would be nice if we could see the conflict, but it's yeah. almost like he's playing two different people, because in the one scene he's just like, I'm, I'm concerned, and then next thing he's a corporate stooge, and then the next thing he's, unconcerned, then he's back to being a corporate stooge. Like, literally the line is, I'm not going to lie, and then lies his ass off. And yeah. it never comes up how much of a conflict the character this guy is, because he... he He just seems so ambiguously written to be essentially whatever he needs to be in any scene. Because I think he had potential to be one of the
1: more fascinating characters. He is maybe the Lewis of this story, where Lewis is just totally in the backseat and doesn't really exist in this story. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's more the next minute. Um, But for this minute so they're saying oh something was interfering with the system and then jennifer eel ely i can't remember how you pronounce it but uh, nah. like, <laughs> like what his soul and uh mm. i mean they don't go more into that at all but no uh, i mean she's a great actress she's best known for i think i mentioned before uh pride and prejudice she's probably one of the mm. best uh oh god i can't remember the i'm blanking yeah but she's okay. one of the best leads I mean, it's probably the best version of Pride and Prejudice, and most people seem to agree. But, um, yeah, her mother, I didn't realize. So I've been watching, I watched Spider-Man 2, and I looked up Aunt May mm. and going, She's still alive? Oh, yeah, she is. And she is so. Jennifer Ely's mother, and wow. she is still working in theater. She's 94 or something, and she, wow. like, this year, she she's in a production of My Fair Lady. <laughs> Damn, and she looks basically the same. This woman is amazing.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird how they keep trying to youngerify Aunt May, and mm. in in the case of most of her May, make incredibly hot, but it's, MILFify. I like uh, the original. Uh, oh, oh I'm I didn't know the name, but yeah, but you know the the Raimi Aunt May. I like how they decide to keep her a little bit older and like. You know, a bit more frailer she, she's very accurate to
1: the comic version but she's also mm. just really lovely and there's a scene yeah as, like she she knows she clearly knows that peter parker is spider-man they're just talking about you know <laughs> oh sometimes you just got to make sacrifices and basically great yeah. power comes great responsibility but longer
0: i was just like yeah. oh she's
1: great oh she's so good
0: Okay, this is going to turn into Spider-Man in two minute, but fuck it. I <laughs> love the I love the bank scene with oh um, she's so his face good. And Community,
1: yes. Uh, Rosemary Harris. Sorry, I'm...
0: Rosemary Harris. God, I can't believe I forgot that name. But um, yeah, the the whole bank scene, right from the beginning to even when she gets kidnapped by Dark Ark and all that tough stuff, it's like mm. she is like. She is like MVPing that that scene every way through it, like you know the whole thing of like, but I get the toaster, right? <laughs> not so good.
1: <laughs> Well, actually, it's only you- a <laughs> few.
0: Yeah, and and like you know slapping down. Um, oh god, I, I almost had his name there, Joel something. Mikhail. Yeah, Joel Mikhail, from, Yeah, from Community. <laughs> that blew my mind rewatching *Spy man went, Hang on. And the soup. Does anyone remember the soup? <laughs> <laughs> I, oh God! Too bad there's already a Spider-Man two minutes, and I can't be on that. <laughs> I will gush about that move until the end of days, and uh, neither of us seen um Spider-Man three again. Yeah, the
1: the re uh <laughs> So, I mean, that's basically all I can say about this particular minute, and I, I'll save my my notes for the next. Minute sixty-five. Yeah. So uh... hey, this
0: this is definitely going to be a short episode uh, compared to some of the really long ones we've just been doing
1: recently. Well, I think that's good, bit of variety. Half an hour is not too bad.
0: Half oh, an hour is not too bad. Uh, unless you've got anything else uh, where can
1: the lovely viewers find you? You can find me at tribemuedesigns.com, I am Courtney and Ivy on Instagram, Courtney Colson on YouTube, Uh, it's the greatest regeneration on uh, Instagram as well I haven't done my December update so yeah, that's that's
0: Mm. the basics and you can find me on Fandom Crossing and Helios photos and all those things like facebook and youtube and all that speaking of youtube you can find us on the tube of views uh, simplecast spotify apple google any anything that's can pod your pods pod pod yeah like share subscribe rate review all that other bullshit uh talk to us on i don't know on facebook We're we're around you know all that stuff I'm running out of things to say. It's, it's early in the morning, and I, my brain hasn't kicked in yet. Nope. So until next time. <laughs> Robocop.
1: Did I say Robocop? I think I so.
0: said You said Robocop.
1: I think I did, yeah, because I'm looking at the word Robocop. So I can't... I'm dumb. <laughs> and I just read... Okay. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> Robocop. There we go. Short, simple, to the point. Not not that Robocock is...
1: No, it's, it's, Robocock <laughs> will never be short and simple to the point. It is a ride of your life. You will remember it forever. And just... Yeah, uh, I think you've got to just say Robocock at the end every once in a while. Just to, so people actually remember yeah. what the fuck it was initially.
0: Yeah, well, you don't really want a mouthful of Robocock.